Hi, and welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast, which provides you with weekly expert insights from those that are making the circular economy a reality. My name is Laura, and I'm going to be your host for these next 30 minutes of a conversation that we had a few weeks ago. Last week, we spoke to Leila Ertur from the H&M Group about their ambitions and their plan to transition their big business towards a circular economy and some of the challenges that they are facing as they go into this transition towards a circular economy. But the question we're going to explore this week in this podcast is how can we address plastic pollution? Because every day that we don't solve the plastic pollution crisis, it gets worse with millions of tons of plastic that leak into the environment or end up in landfills or are burned because of our take-make-waste linear economy. Many companies have taken some important voluntary steps, like setting targets to reduce virgin plastic use and consumption or pilot reduce schemes. But these efforts alone cannot reach the scale that we need to solve this crisis because plastic pollution doesn't care about borders. Countries and organizations cannot fix this problem on their own. It is a global challenge that needs a global solution. We must urgently work towards seeing all these ambitions become actions. And in this podcast, we are going to look at how a legally binding UN treaty, United Nations Treaty, can help us fix plastic pollution for good. This UN treaty is currently being discussed at the United Nations Environment Assembly in Nairobi. We will refer to this event as UNEA during the course of this podcast. And my guest this week is the Global Plastics Policy Manager at the Worldwide Fund for Nature, or WWF. This is an organization that has been working very hard on the topic of solving plastic pollution. The name of my guest is Eirik Lindenberg, someone who is very passionate and determined to solve plastic pollution. For context for you, this conversation was recorded a couple of weeks before this event started. It is taking place at the moment and it ends on March 2nd. Eric at the WWF has followed the discussions on this issue for a very long time and also the lead up to this event, UNEA. It is an unprecedented opportunity for governments to start negotiating this United Nations Treaty on Plastic Pollution. And there is huge momentum around it, as you will discover throughout this podcast. I started off the conversation by asking Eric to share a little bit more about the journey he has taken in his position at WWF and also what made him work on this specific topic. Let's hear from him. It's been a, it, it's been quite a journey. Uh, I've always had a very strong passion uh, for nature and for the environment. So uh, I think I, I knew when I was a small kid uh, growing up on the uh, west coast of Norway, um, I, I already knew that I wanted to work with something that had to do with with environment when when I uh, became uh, um, a grown up and. Uh, my career has then uh, gone from uh, environmental economics and development studies through the UN Environment Programme um, and then to WWF, um, where I think plastic pollution has emerged as 
uh, one of the uh, most fastest growing threats to the environment and also one with an amazing opportunity to make a global difference for the environment. And that's really what, what is driving me today. I think we can achieve some things on plastic pollution that hopefully can, can have a positive precedence for all global environmental topics. Um, I have to say, Eirik, that um, it's very exciting for me to be talking to you because you said you have a background on development studies and it's also my, my own uh, background on this topic. Um, and I can't help but want to ask you as well, how important do you think it is? Because a lot of the decisions that affect the whole world are, that are still coming from the global north. Um, how important do you think that it is for people that work, you know, in international policy solutions or that make solutions at the level that have implications on other countries to actually have a background on development studies and see beyond, uh, let's say, what they are used to or their, their backgrounds in the, in the global north? For any solution to work really at a global scale, uh, it, it needs to take into account perspective from developing countries, right? And, and uh, when it comes to plastic pollution, uh, uh, developing countries are those that are the hardest hit by this problem where really plastic pollution is, is causing a major threat to, to livelihood, to health, etc. So uh, finding solutions that uh, work um, in, in all types of contexts is essential. And I think also that uh, for international processes like the one now uh, uh, on a UN treaty, it is also crucial that the voices from the global south are being heard inside those, those decision-making forums um, as well. And I think one uh, very uh, positive and interesting aspect with the Treaty on Plastic Pollution is that it, it, the idea originally also uh, was first presented by uh, countries such as the Pacific states and Fiji was one of the earliest countries who, who mentioned this in a UN setting. I, I mean, in a, in a way, uh, how I how I see it, Eric, is that we are all developing countries because we have to learn so much as well from other countries, like what we so-called developing economies or, or developing countries. There's so much that we can actually learn about the way they manage their resources, about the way they uh, treat nature. And, and I mean, I think this conversation is, is very important in, in this context. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the work you do at WWF, because um, of course you, you, you are focused uh, in your role in a lot of international policy discussions about solutions. What are some of the challenges uh, that come, uh, you know, when you work on this specific field? Because I guess you, you could say that these type of solutions take a long time to, to actually, you know, be impactful or, or actually be agreed and, and take place. I think a major challenge is to uh, really find the kind of policy solution that is both uh, feasible, realistic, and also ambitious enough. Uh, I think that a very uh, common uh, mistake or a risk when we work in this area is that uh, it's easy to find uh, uh, solutions that are uh, too realistic and too easy to implement, but not ambitious enough. 
Um, and in the search for compromise, uh, often the, the real substance can be lost. Um, that means uh, that for, for getting real substance in place and for getting, for example, improved uh, legal regulations on a topic like this, it does take a long time. Uh, but I think the great advantage is that then it's uh, also lasting a long time for, for decades or centuries uh, after it is, uh, it is agreed. Um, and Eirik, very simple, how would you explain what a treaty is? Let's, get, let's dive into this topic uh, right now. What is a treaty? A treaty is for uh, the global community what a uh, law is for a national community. Uh, and that's uh, um, also partly why it's so uh, important that treaties are legally binding, as we say, which means that it, uh, it, it becomes international law. It uh, uh, is an obligation for all countries to, uh, to follow what's said in the treaty. And, and treaties are then adopted and ratified by parliament. So there's also a, a democratic aspect to it. So a treaty is then a, a, a simple document. It has many names, by the way. It could be a convention or it could be named just a, 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 an international agreement or a treaty. Uh, those names are used a bit interchangeably, but the important part is that it's a legally binding document uh, that works as a law for the global community. And then my next question is, why do we need this kind of legally binding agree agreement to tackle a problem such as plastic pollution? Why is that, let's say, the best tool that we can use at the moment to address this problem? Plastic pollution is in many aspects a global problem. The consequences are global. Uh, once plastic is out in the oceans, then it's crossing borders and it's uh, polluting our global commons of the ocean. Uh, it is global in the sense that plastic products are traded across borders, plastic waste is traded across borders, and the production of uh, plastic is, is often happening in countries, uh, way different countries than where the plastic ends up uh, finally. So uh, the, the, the value chain and the life cycle of a plastic product uh, crosses a lot of borders. That means that uh, regulation in those uh, different uh, countries that the, the product uh, stays in are harmonized and the same and that there is a, there is a common approach in all those countries to solve uh, this problem. For example, you could imagine a design standards for one product to make sure that it can be safely recycled and managed in another uh, country to, to where it was produced. Or another example, if you ban uh, an unnecessary single-use plastic product in one country, but not in any of the neighboring countries, then they, that creates large problems uh, of, uh, of uh, smuggling and illegal trade and lowers the effect of, uh, of that ban in one country. And I think the final aspect is also for the industry. It's a, it's a global industry, right? And uh, for the industry to, to uh, really uh, go through the necessary transformation at the global scale, then it's important to have one approach and, and, and one common set of rules across countries to relate to. Uh, that makes it both easier and more efficient to, uh, to solve the problem in practical terms. 
So far, you've heard Eric and I talk about the work of WWF, what a global treaty is and why we need it to tackle such a global and complex problem that is plastic pollution. But how did we get here? Because it's been a very long journey to get to this point, and plastic pollution has been a problem for many decades. Eric is going to tell us a little bit of the story behind this event and how we got here and what success would really look like. What are the elements that this treaty should include? And what role does the circular economy play in this? As I said in the beginning, there's huge momentum towards creating this United Nations Global Treaty. Over 2 million people, over 1,000 civil society organizations, and over 100 global businesses and financial institutions have supported the call to create this UN Treaty. Let's hear more about IREC, this from IREC from WWF. It has been a long story, and uh, we're coming to a really crucial moment now that has been kind of built up for many, many years. Um, and I think uh, that it has been built up within the UN system and between organizations and governments a bit simultaneously as the issue has really grown uh, in the public awareness as well. And that is the link between those two are actually uh, super important. And I think partly the reason why we've come to this very uh, important moment now. Already at the first UN Environment Assembly uh, back in 2014, uh, plastic pollution was put on the table. And at every uh, assembly since then, and now this is the fifth one, uh, there has been a, a progressive increase in understanding So, for example, uh, a, a report and an assessment was made uh, back in 2017 where all the existing policy responses uh, was analyzed. Um, An expert group was set down to analyze different options for the future and, and what that could look like, how we can tackle this uh, at the global level. And along these processes, I think that the understanding and awareness in the global community around the need for a treaty has really grown and matured. As different options have been explored, the, the option of having a legally binding agreement put in place have come out in a way as the, uh, as the most uh, uh, realistic option in order to solve such a, such a big uh, environmental problem. And it has been a story that has involved civil society organizations. We in WWF have been uh, uh, part of it the, the whole way, so as other um, uh, important environmental organizations as well. Uh, Fiji was one of the first countries who proposed this, and many other countries uh, have, have uh, come along. For example, the Nordic countries were very early to start acknowledging the need for a, for a treaty. And now we're really seeing that all regions of the world are, uh, are involved and are supporting this and uh, are part of this momentum that is leading up to the UN Environment Assembly this time. And for the audience who might not be necessarily familiar with the UN Environment Assembly, um, could, you, could you give a, a short intro to, to what this is? And, and I guess what would success look like in this fifth um, meeting that you, that you just mentioned? 
the UN Environment Assembly is the highest decision-making body on the environment. Um, it, uh, it has universal membership, which means that uh, all uh, governments in the world uh, are part of it. And they normally send their uh, ministers of environment to this summit that is then happening uh, every other year. Uh, this is the fifth assembly, and now there is a decision on the table for starting negotiations of a new treaty. That means that once the assembly decides on that um, mandate, as we call it, that decision, the negotiation mandate, that will start a process. It will set up um, a body, an intergovernmental negotiating committee that will have uh, global summits, maybe twice a year uh, over the next couple of years, that will define the content, the specific content in this treaty. So if everything goes right uh, at the UN Environment Assembly uh, uh, this time, there will no longer be any doubt if we will get the treaty, then all world's environment ministers has agreed to there will be a treaty and then it will start a very interesting process over the next couple of years where all actors should get involved and make sure that that treaty becomes as solid and as good as possible. Um, so it sounds to me that this treaty would be kind of like a game changer in the in the plastics problem. Um, you said if everything goes right, and I would like to ask you here, what could go wrong or what would you think are the barriers that could prevent this from happening? Currently, there's a big momentum for this. Uh, more than 150 governments have publicly said that they want a treaty. Uh, but in negotiations like this, um, uh, resistance will certainly come. There will be uh, alternative proposals put on the table that uh, uh, are are not good enough and and rely, for example, on only on voluntary measures that we've we've seen for so many years now that that's not good enough. Um, and uh, this is a forum where there's a strong tradition also for consensus, which means that if only one or a very few governments resists, that will kind of uh, uh, put the whole process into, into jeopardy in a sense. There is the opportunity uh, in the rules of procedure of the assembly to actually go for a vote. And we see that there is a clear majority that, that wants a treaty, but the governments in the, in the sense of collaboration want to avoid that and come, um, come to an agreement with that everyone can agree to. So it will be quite intense two weeks it is uh, not 100% sure that uh, there will be such a decision, but it, uh, it looks very good. Uh, and I think, I mean, worst case scenario is that we just uh, continue discussing, continue with having expert groups or working groups that, with, that doesn't have the mandate to negotiate a, a legally binding treaty. That what, that's what we really need to avoid. We, we have been discussing for uh, almost a decade. We've done all the groundwork, all the governments have been involved, uh, and uh, now it's time to make the decision that we will have a legally binding treaty. And you are hopeful? I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. With so much support from governments, uh, clear majority of UN member states supporting it, 
businesses, civil society, all pushing in the same direction, uh, then I think it will be really hard for any one country to, uh, to uh, fight back against that kind of wave. So now let's talk a little bit about the vision that we have for this UN uh, treaty uh, for plastics pollution. Um, what would a successful UN treaty uh, look like for you? A successful UN treaty would have ambitious goals on the one side, so it will clearly uh, put everyone in a common direction towards reducing plastic pollution to zero uh, uh, in the longer run, uh, then it will have will be ambitious not only in the goal, but also in the measures. And I think we've seen uh, uh, way too many global environmental agreements that are very ambitious in the goals, but not ambitious when it comes to the measures uh, to solving them. So, so it's really important that Uh, uh, there's a clear link between the measures and the goals. That means that we uh, need global definitions, global standards for product, products and product design for material use, um, that we have uh, global regulations, bans on some products that uh, are unnecessary, um, and that this set of Uh, rules and regulations are then supported by um, by a, a proper institutional uh, framework around it uh, with COPs, with uh, a scientific panel and importantly with a, a financial mechanism that can support implementation of uh, these obligations in all countries. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm hearing um, establishing uh, global standards Uh, supporting, I guess, all countries to, to do this, like with, with tools, with knowledge. Um, and in a way as well, we also have to consider how this new economy would look like, right? And here is where the circular economy comes into play and, you know, asks you to look at the source of the problem instead of just dealing with it at the end. Um, in your opinion, what role does the circular economy play in that future vision that the UN treaty kind of wants to, to create uh, in the world? I think the circular economy plays a central role, uh, really. We need a global circular economy. That's why we need global laws, global regulations through a treaty. Um, and in order to stop the current situation, which is really just producing virgin plastics, uh, using it for a very short amount of time and, and creating a huge waste problem at, at the other end of that linear economy that we currently have. If we are to reach a goal uh, or get as close as we possibly can to the goal of zero plastic pollution, so that what, that's what we really have to, from the nature and environmental side, Plastic doesn't disappear in the environment. So any plastic that we uh, release will stay there and accumulate. So we really, we have a finite planet. We really have to get to zero plastic pollution. And the only way then that we can still uh, use uh, plastics uh, in, for the areas where plastics is really needed is through a circular economy. So uh, I think it, there are important arguments for for 
reduction for reducing uh, production and consumption uh, of plastics and then create a true circular economy for for what is then left um, in circulation. So eliminating what we don't need, keeping in use or circulate what we actually need and, and, and innovation probably plays a huge part in this. And of course, ensuring that the plastic we use doesn't end up in our environment and ends up just circulating in the economy. You've spoken a little bit about what comes next after, you know, this UN Environment Assembly meeting, if successful. Um, one of the criticisms could be, as we've mentioned before, that this thing, this, you know, the, to feel perhaps the impact is going to take time. And, and we are dealing with a situation right now that is, and it's quite urgent to start taking action now if we are to, you know, get back within our planetary boundaries to solve the plastic pollution. As you said, there are already tons of plastics that have leaked to our oceans or um, to our environment. So what can we do now and where do we need to kind of take action? Where, where does that need to come from? I think it's important to say that there's no need to wait for a treaty in order to take action. I think everyone needs to take action now. The work on the treaty will be super important to make this response efficient and lasting over time, over the next decades, centuries. But uh, all the uh, solutions, uh, the, the practical solutions on how to really solve this problem here and now uh, can be start, uh, started to be implemented already immediately. And many of them are. I mean, we, we see many good initiatives. It's often the problem that they lack the, the scale at the moment uh, that is needed in order to tackle this, this, this problem. And, and that's also a reason why we... We want a global approach that can help scale it up. I think there's a lot of things that we can do, uh, both as individuals, with taking uh, more uh, conscious choices, use less plastics, uh, make sure that none of the plastic we use end up in places where it shouldn't. Um, and, of course, businesses can do a lot. Um, if we imagine a goal of zero plastic pollution uh, at the global level. That is also a goal that can be scaled down to any level, right? You can, you can have that as your personal goal to contribute to zero plastic pollution. You could have that as a goal for your business and you can map out uh, what the business contributions and through the value chain that the business operates in, what, what it is contributing to plastic pollution today and, and find the best measures in, in order to to reduce that footprint. And you can do it at the, at the national level or in the city. Uh, that, that can be a goal that can be measured and, and worked systematically to, uh, uh, to be met. So uh, there, there are huge arguments for uh, starting now from the smallest actions to, uh, to, uh, the, to large national laws or, or global laws. I mean, I think it's clear that, that the world uh, in many ways or the many parts of the society are supporting this uh, UN treaty with more than 2 million people. And well, you just told me that actually it's more than 900 civil society groups uh, from 
a huge new number of countries that are calling for governments to to sign this global legally binding um, agreement to end plastic pollution. And we've also seen a clear push from the business and financial sector with around 70 business and financial institutions also uh, signing a pre-UNEA um, statement asking governments to start negotiations for the UN treaty. Um, a lot of the, the the businesses, the uh, a lot of the businesses that we speak to, a lot of the businesses that are you know pushing for a circular economy for plastics that are heavily you know in favor of getting the UN um, treaty, they have goals set for 2040, 2050, um, which seem a bit far away. You could almost like you know say, well, what are your plans today? Uh, you know, how, uh, you know, it's very clear where, where you want to be in 2040 and 2050. And that sends a very clear message to to people. But also, how are you going to turn your ambitions into actions? Um, I just wanted to discuss this a little bit with you because you mentioned uh, measures and you mentioned tracking. Is that the, what we need more of? Do we need to, you know, have this kind of metric system that, you know, will hold them accountable? Or is there more to it that we need to be asking businesses to do? I think that's definitely one of the the measures that needs to be put in place. Today, plastic pollution isn't really uh, well measured, uh, neither at the business level, uh, nor at the country level, global level. A lot of our understanding of plastic pollution and the levels of plastic pollution comes from uh, scientific estimates, research on how much plastic is in the ocean, etc. That really has to change. We need to start tackling plastic pollution as a, a concrete uh, uh, problem of emissions that we can actually quantify and that we should report on. Uh, a treaty will hopefully put in place a, a global reporting system and set some uh, global standards on on methods for reporting so that they can be comparable uh, across countries. Uh, So measuring really the plastic footprint and and measuring the level of circularity also within a business uh, is key. I think it is a danger uh, when you see companies that only commit to something that is far into the future, very distant into the future, and don't have a clear plan uh, and a clear way of measuring progress towards that goal. Um, So all those things need to be put in place. It's great to see that many businesses are making commitments, uh, uh, but then we're looking even more forward to see them reporting in in approaching those commitments. And and I think it's going to be a very exciting uh, decade to see some of that. I think that a a lot of them, you know, metric systems i mean may i'm hoping that the UN, that the un treaty as well will help with the plastic pollution but also with measures um that we have we are currently developing or that currently already exist to measure um you know how circular your company is or um other kind of like their regenerative ambitions as well all these metrics help us uh and by us, I mean the world, hold accountable organizations that have certain targets and goals. Um, 
I would like us to, to, to conclude by, I really want to know what's the kind of legacy that you want to leave, let's say, in your organization, uh, you know, by the time you move on or uh, by the time you, you leave. Um, what, what is like one or two things that you really hope to have achieved? Uh, that's a, that's a, a hard question in one way, but also a very easy one, because I think that my motivation is always to make uh, an as large impact, positive impact for the environment as, as possible. And if, uh, if I'm part of uh, efforts that really make a huge global uh, difference, then, uh, then uh, I'm happy. What I also uh, hope to uh, achieve is for an, an global environmental organization like WWF that I'm part in to to be able to contribute to uh, making us in the environment movement even uh, more st strategic, uh, targeted, and able to uh, both identify and uh, and advocate for and, and build partnerships around uh, the the true solutions that can really make a, a, a big environmental difference, um, so that we don't get get blinded by. Uh, all the other uh, seemingly green opportunities out there. Thank you so much, Eric, for being here with me today on the Circular Economy Show. Thank you so much. So, the United Nations Environment Assembly in Nairobi is an unprecedented opportunity to create a United Nations Treaty on Plastic Pollution. Lots of nations around the world are calling for it. And every day we don't solve the plastic pollution crisis, it's going to get worse. So we have no time to waste. Voluntary agreements and existing measures cannot solve this problem alone. We need this global treaty, a global solution for a global problem. And just to remind you, what would a successful treaty really look like? Well, it should include these three elements. It should have a clear focus on ways we can stop the problem before it starts not just about how we can improve cleaning it up. So it has to look upstream and it has to include a circular economy approach. It should also set global standards for success, common regulations for all countries that create a level playing field across the world so that everyone is on the same page and following the same rules. And third, it should also support all countries to play their part And this means giving them the tools, the knowledge, and the frameworks to really create a circular economy for plastics. It was brilliant to hear from Eric on the work that they are doing from WWF and how they are collaborating with many organizations. There is no time to waste, and the time to act is now. We should match our statements with legally binding actions and short-term plans. This is what organizations will have to do in the next decade, especially our global and big businesses. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today in this podcast. But we'll be back next week with more content on the circular economy. If you've enjoyed it, please like it, subscribe to our channels and share it with your network. We would really appreciate that. I look forward to the next episode next week. See you then.